This is the MyHeart.net podcast. This show is produced by Dr. Philip Johnson in conjunction with VitalEngine.com. Please welcome your host, Dr. Alain Bouchard of Cardiology Specialist of Birmingham, Alabama at St. Vincent's Medical Center, part of Ascension. Welcome to MyHeart.net. And, uh, you know, today we're going to discuss women and heart disease, the importance of early detection and prevention. And uh, with us today, we have, you know, Dr. Nicole Lohr, who is Division Director of the Cardiovascular Disease at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Uh, she's Professor of Medicine at the Hersink School of Medicine at UAB. She's the proud uh, recipient of the Mary Waters Chair of Cardiovascular Medicine. She's very involved with the American College of Cardiology. She used to be governor of the ACC in Wisconsin, and now she's chair of the American College of Cardiology Board of Governors. So, Nicole, welcome to myheart.net. Dr. Bouchard, it's my absolute pleasure to join you today and look forward to talking about this very important topic. Thank you very much, Nicole. Uh, we know that over the last four decades, we have seen some improvement trends in heart disease mortality among the U.S. population as a whole in almost all categories uh, or in almost all demographics. Over the last few years, however, we've seen a resurgence of, of heart disease, and unfortunately, it looks like young women are leading the way. We're talking about women of 35 to 54 who've had an increase in heart-related mortality. There's also the problem that when presenting with a heart attack, women are less likely to receive an invasive treatment. They're also less likely to receive the appropriate guideline-directed medical therapy. So, Nicole, what are some of the challenges in diagnosing heart disease in women? What's so different? You know, I think that's an, uh, an excellent question because I think it's a combination, quite honestly, of, of physicians and healthcare providers um, maybe holding on to some older and outdated notions of, of what a heart attack should look like and that coronary disease and um, women's cardiovascular mortality goes beyond just a heart attack. Uh, and in fact, a lot of maternal related cardiomyopathies and other diseases are also um, contributing to the uh, observed increases in mortality amongst younger women with cardiovascular disease. And then the other side of the coin uh, is that women also believe that being young somewhat protects them from having cardiovascular disease. And so uh, increasing awareness in younger women, and I would argue that we should start really bringing this level of awareness, even when we're young in our adolescence, um, can go a long way in contributing to reducing, you know, the sad statistics that you and I are seeing every day. We know that uh, for patients presenting with a heart attack, young women often have obstructive coronary disease at cardiac cath, but up to 15% of the uh, patients, you know, sin have no blockages whatsoever. Some, some have, um, you know, minimal disease. We know that clinical practice revealed a certain distinction that are predominantly observed in women, which have implication for treatment. 
can you talk a little bit and discuss some clinical scenarios uh, where we see you know women presenting with chest pain? So um, one of the uh, scenarios that I like to talk about the most is looking at not those large blood vessels that feed our heart um, that you and I both would describe as epicardial coronary vessels. Um, these are the ones that we see most obvious on uh, an angiogram when we do them. And um, for women in particular, they can have, as you said, non-obstructive coronary disease. So those pictures look good, so to speak. However, it's the very small blood vessels in the heart which do the majority of the work in regulating blood flow um, to the heart muscle itself those can be incredibly reactive. And so we call that um, a myocardial infarction of non-obstructive coronaries or minoca. Uh, if you don't see damage to the heart muscle, we can also call it anoka. Again, speaking to ischemia or a transient loss of blood flow and oxygen. And it's interesting because women will experience this type of chest pain, they'll go through a workup, and yet we won't quote find anything. And the reality is, is we aren't we aren't looking hard enough to find it. And if I took a population of patients with Anoka or Minoka, and I compared them to the same group of individuals that go to a cath lab with the very classic chest pain with a, a blockage, and we call that a myocardial infarction, their outcomes are rather similar. And so for us, one, if you hear in women that they have chest pain and they went through a workup, it may, as physicians say, let's go a step further. Let's look at other imaging modalities. Um, some you and I may know a pet nuclear medicine can sometimes find those areas of ischemia and, um, and cardiac MRI in certain instances can also find that. So that, that to me, I think is where I want people to know um, that's the first place that I look. The other is, especially in young women, um, you can have um, dissection of the coronary arteries. Um, and so spontaneous coronary artery dissection can occur. Sometimes we see this in women with pregnancy. And um, having be, getting yourself to a center that understands how to take care of women with this condition can oftentimes avoid some of the problems that can occur in these patients, particularly whether or not to um, reopen that vessel and um, put in a stent, um, which can sometimes make the problem worse. Um, so that would be another area of chest pain. And then you can see somewhere in between, you can have spasms of coronary arteries um, where treating with medications can alleviate some of that chest pain. So those are the top three that I think. I don't, I don't know um, if you have anything else to add to that. No, I mean, I think this is pretty much, you know, the experience that we have, and we're getting to learn more and more about, you know, these spontaneous dissection. Uh, you know, I've had patients um, over the years that have had to send to for bypass surgery, you know, because mm -hmm. of that. I mean, it was like the whole LED that was dissected all the way, you know, to the apex or, or some other instance where, you know, you see the smooth tapering of the artery and, and you try to, you know, 
you're not sure exactly what's going on. You, we didn't do IVIS back in the day, so you mm -hmm. try to balloon it, and it doesn't change. You know, you say, well, you know, finally, we're just going to leave it alone and treat medically, which, you know, a lot of times that's the best treatment, you know, for these patients. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I am not an interventional coronary um, interventionalist, so so I rely on having really good experts that I partner with in a team-based approach. Um, and I know if in those subsets of patients where you want to take an interventional approach, it's you really have to commit to probably intervening on the entire vessel because again, that that endothelial lining of those blood vessels are so fragile and it tends to propagate um, those dissections. And then, you know, you're basically looking at an, a, an extensively injured vessel, right? That's prone to, to clotting and then occluding. And that's exactly the, the scenario we don't want to have happen. Yeah, exactly. So because of these challenges and not only in detecting, but treating heart disease in women, I think we should, um, we'd like to focus on prevention. And, um, you know, if we want to reduce heart disease in women, I think this is where we have to put our, all of our effort. How do we know who's at risk? And, and see if you could maybe talk a little bit about the so-called cardio ovary risk factors. I would love to. Obviously, um, we should always focus on management of your high blood pressure. Um, one in three women have high blood pressure um, and it's a modifiable risk factor. Um, but you raised the, um, well, I like this cardio ovary term because for women, what we're finding is their history, their pregnancy history, their history of when they begin menarche or the time in which you start your periods. And when you actually start menopause, all contribute to what your cardiovascular risk looks like. So um, I'd like to break them down into a couple of categories. So um, we have um, a significant amount of data that shows um, that pregnancy in and of itself is a stress test. It's a nine month stress test. And when a woman becomes pregnant and has a developing fetus, what you're doing is you're increasing your blood volume, you're increasing your um, cardiac output. So the heart has to work all that much harder because it has to now not only just take care of you, the mother, but also the fetus. And so we have seen that the placenta development is very dependent on the health of what the mother is. So if she has various um, other conditions like diabetes or high blood pressure, that's going to affect the way that the placenta develops and then nourishes the baby. So there's so if you develop high blood pressure or gestational hypertension, if you develop um, diabetes during your pregnancy or gestational diabetes, what you're doing is, is it's creating an inflammatory environment in which that placenta isn't able to develop. There are other proteins that are given off um, within the placenta. I think of some of the growth factors of that development that can be markers um, for an unhealthy placenta. And then ultimately, if that placenta is not healthy, what ends up happening is that um, there are triggers that it's time to deliver the baby. And so we've had um, a series of, we've had a history of preeclampsia 
what is preeclampsia? It's a, it's a disease on a spectrum that tells us that that placenta is not healthy. And if it's not healthy, then delivery has oftentimes been, quote, perceived the cure. We're learning now, it's basically telling us that you aren't healthy and that your cardiovascular um, risk is elevated as well. And oftentimes it can lead to, um, to premature delivery, which is also um, a risk factor for having, um, I think, a twofold increase in cardiovascular events later on in life. So that's kind of in the pregnancy-related um, category. We can look at um, women who have um, other diseases of the ovary, like polycystic ovarian syndrome. There's a lot of data that came out of uh, Danish registries, as well as in Australia, that showed that women who carry this diagnosis are also at increased um, risk of, of cardiovascular events. How do you, um, how do you know if you have um, PCOS? You're typically um, someone who has, uh, I would say, um, irregular periods. Um, you have ovaries that have been visualized that, that seem polycystic in nature. Um, you can tend to have uh, high levels of testosterone in addition to varying levels of estrogen. And, um, and that can cause, um, again, an inflammatory um, phenotype or phenotype is like, I, um, I look or I behave as something. So you have a lot of um, stress factors within your body that are saying you're unhealthy. Um, in looking at um, obesity, um, high blood sugars, and then these hormone changes. And so you may not be able to have children. Sometimes there's infertility related to PCOS. And so that's another way of looking at the ovary. Sorry if that got a little bit lengthy, but it's kind of hard to describe um, yeah. without pictures um, really what PCOS is. And then for some women, um, depending on their genetic um, makeup, they may be unable to even start their periods. It's the same thing we've seen. Um, women with amenorrhea are never having, a, uh, uh, having um, their periods. They also have increases in cardiovascular risk. Yeah. So important, you know, particularly I love this pregnancy because it's like it's a window in a woman's you know, future, you know, whether she develops preeclampsia or whether she develops gestational diabetes, it's really uh, important. And, and this is where you can really kind of hammer down on the risk factors and, and, and prevent, you know, coronary disease from happening and, and when they turn 40s. What about this early menopause? Uh, Nicole, I always have a problem, you know, particularly when they've had, you know, an operation. I mean, I know we talk about early menopause, usually less than 40 years of age. How do you do that in clinical practice? What do you, what kind of information do you get from your patients? Um, so I think for early menopause, again, I, it speaks to me the, um, the value in you know, we've known that estrogen is is somewhat protective. We still are, again, teasing out the mechanisms by why that occurs. Um, but for for early menopause, um, I I stress upon women the need to um, continually modify other risk factors. 
And I also look into, are there other hormonal reasons um, why they achieved menopause early? And so um, for us, we know that, um, that atherosclerosis and inflammation and even high blood pressure can be um, somewhat mitigated by the presence of estrogen. And we've, we've made these observations. Again, we're talking about natural estrogen. I don't wanna confuse the audience because for many years we thought giving women high levels of estrogen um, at the time of menopause would somehow quote protect them. And it's not quite as straightforward as that. So, and so if, if my body makes estrogen, that estrogen has been absolutely important in, um, I would say tempering the renin angiotensin system. And so keeping blood pressure lower, um, reducing inflammation and allowing um, nitric oxide, a very critical hormone to be produced um, by our blood vessels. These keep blood flowing and our vessels react, um, reacting appropriately. And without that natural estrogen, we start to see what I would say is subclinical atherosclerosis and that deposition of cholesterol into the walls of the vessel much earlier. Well, I think that's great. I mean, I think we can now identify a little bit better women at risk and and monitor better their blood pressure as well as their blood sugar, their, their cholesterol, and really kind of implement a healthy lifestyle, you know, early on and really encourage women to protect themselves, knowing that, you know, they're at increased risk of a heart attack and stroke. So the importance of, um, you know, heart disease in women the importance of uh, early detection and prevention. Nicole Lohr, Division Cardiology Chief you know, at UAB, thank you so much you know, for your time. Really appreciate all your insight. Thank you, Dr. Bouchard. It was my pleasure. To learn more from our team of cardiologists, please visit us at myheart.net. You can also follow us on social media by searching myheart.net on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next episode.